Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Corey, I, I am sure that you have heard the phrase, the rich get richer. I have heard it. Um, I saw a video that gave me a good chuckle. All right. Um, and it, it was like, you know how sometimes if you go into a parking garage, you you have to pay to go in. Right. <laughs> and there's a bar that blocks your car from being able to go in. You, you pay the ticket or whatever. And the bar raises. Yeah. Um, it was this like very low to the ground Lamborghini or something like super fancy car. Slid right under. Drives right under. Yeah. Yeah. Captioned, the rich, the rich get richer. Smart. Um, but I think it's, it's, it'd be interesting to start this conversation with that concept that you hear like the rich get richer. And it, I think the opposite is also true that oftentimes the poor get poorer. And unfortunately, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, the rich get richer. It's kind of this snowball effect. I tried to list some of the things that can account for that. For example, oftentimes those with a lot of capital, a lot of cash, they can purchase something in cash, which means they don't need to pay any interest. Um, they can usually, and they have capital to invest that they can gain back interest on their capital, on their money. Right. They can, they can afford insurance. They can purchase insurance so that if any big crisis happens, they're kind of protected against that. Oftentimes, you know, they can pay 
an accountant or somebody to help them dodge taxes, find loopholes, and not have to pay as much in taxes. Um, and then you think about on the flip side, those that are poor, they, you know, don't, they can't get high credit scores. And so they have to pay much higher interest on any debt that they have, you know, how they're educated, uh, you know, they might not have the financial literacy. They don't have the connections. Uh, There's so much to that. And so sadly, that's just how things tend to work. And there, there has been the question asked, like, what does it really take to break out of that cycle? And as you can imagine, because money is such a big focus across so many industries, but you know, there's even the financial industry itself and there is so much data. There's been so much research, so many different methods have been attempted and practiced. And when it comes to just how do you break a cycle of poverty there, it's not easy, but there are methods. Um, that's not exactly what we're talking about today, but for anyone who wants to be more financially resilient, like financial resilience is such a big part of overall resilience. Uh, you know, how much money you have affects basically every other aspect of life and how you're able to handle any challenges that come your way. And so it, it does matter. And the comfort that I take as we kind of start this conversation is that like, it, this is one area where there is so much out there. There, there are proven practices, and uh, there is a path. You know, <clears throat> this is going to be an important episode. They're all important, but th- like something that I hear often uh, discussed in like the collapse community is this idea that the wealthy are going to make it a lot further in collapse than everyone else, right? Or the wealthy are going to be more comfortable and and all this stuff. And I think that that is true. For sure it's true. The wealthy can buy options, right? As things get more expensive, as things are more scarce, um, as there needs to be the ability to flee from one area to another or to buy whatever, right? Money gives you options and the wealthy... The ultra wealthy or what who people are normally talking about, um, yeah, they've got plenty of it. And so they do have more options. But one thing that I think is often overlooked is the fact that you don't have to be ultra wealthy to be better off in collapse. Financial independence, just not being mired in the debt cycle, right? Having a little extra cash, like marginally there is a huge return to be had just by gaining that financial independence. You know, you you hear about how there are are decreasing marginal returns um, as you go along the path, right? From, from impoverished to ultra wealthy. And it's not linear as far as um, the, the added benefit of becoming more wealthy. I think to, yeah, if you're in the top 0.0001%, like you have basically unlimited money to do what you need to do with. Great. Good for you. Yes, those people are going to do really well. But there is a huge difference between being impoverished, being um, indebted, right? And being financially independent at the very least, being for the most part out of debt, being able to control 
the amount of money that you have, being able to have some savings, those people are going to fare much better in collapse than someone who is impoverished in the, in the debt cycle. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, and some different ideas around that because obviously we don't know exactly what collapse is going to be or what it's going to look like. But just this idea that don't feel like you have to be ultra wealthy. When we talk about financial health, it's not about becoming rich. It's about figuring out you know, how to get to a point where you can manage your finances comfortably. And if so, um, every little step that you make along that path is going to drastically change your comfort and your resilience through collapse. Yeah. And I, I think it's also worth mentioning there's different approaches because there are multiple different levers that you can pull to account for your finances. I think about the conversation that we had with Sean Chamberlain. Who's, who's basically operating without money, um, but he, he has reduced his expenses very significantly. Right. And he's built up kind of his social capital, you know, his connections that he can rely on. Um, my guess is that that approach is very rare. Right. <laughs> so I don't think we'll dive much into that approach, but there are different ways that it can be approached. And, and I think... Uh, what we'll talk about today is going to be helpful, generally speaking, to most people. But, you know, if, if you have a different approach, that's fine. Right. I think we want to make, make sure that that's understood. Totally. And, yeah, with, with Sean Chamberlain, it's not necessarily that the approach itself is rare. It's the extremity to which he's taken it, which is rare, I think, but which for him has worked great and in collapse seems like a very great way to go about it, Right. If you start with nothing, then having nothing later um, is not much different. And so it's it's kind of that um, collapse now and avoid the rush sort of mentality. But there are less extremes that you can still take that same idea. Cut expenses, right? The less expenses that you have now, and, and we'll get into this, but, but it's that idea that you can take things to a less extreme and still have them be beneficial to you. Yeah. Well, one thing before we get into... It kind of the the practicality and the really tactical steps, things like that. I think it's worth talking a little bit about like our philosophy on some of this. Um, there's this idea when you talk about collapse, right? And and if you're listening to this, depending on whether you joined us for like our previous podcast or whether this is all new, you may not subscribe to like what we've said about where society is going and that society is going to collapse. Whether you adhere to that or not, there is this question that's often asked by anyone who thinks the future is going to be worse than current state to almost any degree. And it's this idea of like, is it worth saving for the Do I put money into my 401k? Yeah. Like do, if I'm, if I'm young and i start to see that like things are scary is it is it even worth saving for college 40 years from now or 30 years from now is life even gonna like is society even gonna be around yeah like so people just ask is it is it even worth my time is the financial system even gonna exist are there gonna be bank accounts and, and i think like it's very unwise to make the assumption that you should just live life without any sort of financial preparation. 
if nothing else, especially regarding saving in 401ks, especially treat it like, like insurance, treat it like, <laughs> even if you have to look at it this way, right? Like I pay insurance on like home insurance on the rare low chance occasion that like my house catches on fire or floods or, or whatever. Right. And maybe you think there's a low chance that you're going to make it to 60 or that society will still be functioning and money will still be in circulation when you're 60. Right. If that's your thought, that's totally fine. Treat your 401k or treat retirement or treat savings like insurance. You don't want to make it to 60 and have nothing right and have to continue working into your 70s and your 80s and and as long as you you know have to just to get by to me what's more likely is that money will still be in circulation we will still have to work to, to and use money to to feed ourselves and keep ourselves alive but we'll have less to rely on like social security we'll have less social nets right safety nets to protect us we will have to rely on ourselves more than now not less so, yeah, in my opinion, and again, everyone can have their own opinion. That's totally fine. Uh, you're going to want to have savings for the future. Yeah. And and maybe that's because you and I, when we talk about collapse, we've explained this many times that it's not like a single event. It's this gradual thing. Uh, my view is even a little bit different than yours of what the future might look like, but similar in the sense that like, I think it's just going to get harder to make ends meet than it is today. Right. There's going to be more food scarcity. There's going to be more global conflict. You know, there's energy is going to cost more. Like it's just going to be that much harder than now. But it's like, if you're in, if you have uh, no savings, like you're going to be in way more trouble then than you would now. Right. If you have a high amount of debt, way more trouble then than you will now. So like now is the time to try to become financially resilient and prepare yourself for the future. With that, Last thing that I think is worth saying, every one of these topics, to some degree, I feel like a hypocrite. Um, and I say that because, not because I'm not trying, I am trying to become financially resilient, but you, you might think like, oh, this should come from somebody who's like on the other side of this, who has just years of savings in their account. And who has so much set up that like nothing could ever disturb them financially. And has reduced their expenses to almost nothing. And yeah. yeah. And that's not the case. Um, I, I think over these last handful of years, I'm in a much better place than I was in the past. I think you are as well financially. But uh, there's a long ways to go to get to where I want to be in terms of financial resilience. And also on that note, everyone is at a starting point. Everyone is at a different place in life. Everyone has been handed different cards in life. Like there is, there is a very wide range. There's a big spectrum of where someone might fall financially, right? You and I are very blessed to have at least these last few years found ourselves in a comfortable spot financially. We recognize that not everyone, that most everyone cannot say that, right? Right now is a really hard time economically for a lot of people with the inflation that we're going through, right? Um, with the job market, um, with housing costs and just this outrageous housing market and things that we find ourselves in. So many people are priced out and it's leaving a lot of people in a lot of pain and with a lot, you know, a lot of fear 
for how they're going to um, stop living paycheck to paycheck. And so, yeah, like you said, we're coming from a spot where that's not our situation right now, right? And we, again, consider ourselves very lucky and we're very grateful to be where we are. We're also not wealthy, right? You and I are not like uber rich. We just aren't struggling. Yeah. And anyway, that's just to put that out there so that what what we're talking about is coming from our perspective. We can't talk from other people's perspectives. And so if it comes off some of the things that we're saying, like, oh, well, you can tell these guys aren't, aren't like struggling to put food on the table. You're right. Right now we are not struggling for that, but we do recognize that that is a huge deal. So when we say things like set aside an extra 10% in your savings account, every paycheck, and you're like laughing because you have 10% less than you need in every paycheck. We totally like we, we understand that. Um, and it's hard to address every single situation, but we're just going to do our be- the best that we can to describe generally what can be done or what should be done in order to become financially independent. Yeah. Um, my wife and I, when, when we first got married, actually in a few days from when we're recording this, we're going to hit our 12 year anniversary. Congrats. We're a month from 10. Nice. Um, so when we first got married, the first handful of years were just so challenging. Yeah. Like, like, uh, it's it's hard to describe, you know, just every tiny little purchase and the the emotional impact that had because of how tight things were. It's constantly it's all you think about is money. I don't have it. I how am I going to I remember one time just to give a quick example of what you're saying here, we in our first place that we've moved into, we'd just been married. Um I was going to school, my wife was working part time. We were in a little one room cabin this old cabin with like a furnace in it that was from probably like the 1940s or something. And that freaked me out because I was paranoid about carbon monoxide. And we were paying like $300 a month to this place. And that hurt, right? It was scary and hard. But I remember going to bed one of those first nights and being paranoid about carbon monoxide um, because of that old furnace. So I said, babe, I'm going to go to Walmart and I'm going to buy a carbon monoxide detector and it was, it just hurt. It was so hard. It was $13. I still remember that now, 10 years later, because of how bad it hurt. Having to like fork up 13 bucks for this carbon monoxide detector. But it, it, you know, it's, it's a piece of, it's resilience. It was, it helped me feel comfortable and safe and knowing that we were going to be okay in this house. But anyway, you know, to me now, a $13 expense, I wouldn't think twice about it, but just the, mental anguish that it caused that was kind of the everyday for several years in the beginning yeah yeah and i I, you know there are things like comparing then to now in my personal life i i can look at things that i just feel very fortunate um i can look at other things where i'm like we did we made some good choices to put ourselves into a good situation oh yeah at one point when things were really rough my wife and i sat down and we we like talked through all these financial principles of like, okay, we want to make sure we do this and this. There were a few different times where we tried budgeting and it didn't last very long. And it took us a while to figure out, okay, what's our system for making sure we control our expenses. Um, so anyways, it's been a long journey trying to build financial resilience. And with that, I think it's worth 
stating there are a couple of different elements of financial resilience. Um, you can kind of break them into like financial literacy, which I mentioned earlier, uh, and financial capacity. But on the one hand, there are things like economic resources. So your savings, like how much, how much just money do you have? Or you could look at it more broadly. It's just how, 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 how many assets do you have? Um, there's also income level. I mean, how much money is coming in? That's a huge part of it. Debt management, ability to raise funds in an emergency, ability to meet living expenses. Um, all of that comes just down to like that core piece of your economic resources. Um, there's also your financial knowledge and behavior. So some of those things are like your knowledge of financial products and services, your confidence in using financial products and services, your willingness to seek financial advice, um, you know, proactive financial actions. That's like a whole nother category that has a big part that plays an, a massive part in how, you know, financially well off you are and, and how resilient you are. Another is your access to financial products and services. So things like access to a bank account, access to credit, access to insurance. That plays a huge part. And then a, a part that sometimes people leave out. I'm glad we mentioned this already with Sean Chamberlain and the conversation we had there is social capital. So your social connections, your social support in a time of crisis and access to community and government support. So those are kind of big categories, but it's like, Usually when you hear people talk about being financially prepared, financially resilient, they're just going to, they're just going to say like, make sure you have savings. Yes, that's important. That is something we will discuss, but I just, I, I want to start, uh, the broader conversation by saying like, we need to understand there's these, these different aspects, these different levers that we can pull to make ourselves more financially resilient. If you can increase your level of all of those, you'll be better off. But also, if you can increase your level of any of those, you'll be better off. Yeah. As you were mentioning those, there were a few things that came to mind. And, and it was basically what you just said, that there's individual lever levers there that are helpful, but a combination of those levers that can be extremely powerful. Like maybe you have access to debt. Now, that might sound good or bad, right? Generally, we hear debt and people are like, no, debt's terrible. You should completely be out of debt, right? A lot of the wealthiest people just know how to leverage debt. They know how to use it. And that's where the know-how comes in. Just because I might be able to go to the bank and get a $20,000 loan does not mean that I should, right? Yeah. It's good to have that in case of an emergency, in case of something when it's needed. It's also good to have that in case of an opportunity and you know how to use it and you know how to use that money to make more money. But if you don't, if you're just like, oh, I've got access to 20 grand, right? And then you go and you blow that. Like if you don't have the, the control and the financial know-how um, and the ability to see the right opportunity when it comes, those types of things, you just further yourself in the debt cycle. So anyway, if you, if you can pull multiple levers, increase your knowledge and your access, increase your income, Therefore, you're going to increase your savings and your overall wealth and in the end become more independent. Yeah. So all of that, you can hear that. And now it like, like might sound like a complicated picture. 
And it is. There's so many different parts to it. There's so much that we look forward to discussing in the future. If you want to just really simplify it, um, you can go back to just like how much money is coming in, how much money is going out, you know, income versus expenses, and how much cushion do you have? Yeah. So with that, um, I think it is worth talking a little bit about savings. So I know you have a couple of things here, Corey, and uh, I want to share just a few things. Um, oftentimes, if somebody doesn't have savings and you ask them like to start building the savings, they'll say, of course, I know that's important, but I can't. And uh, not that that's always wrong, but uh, oftentimes people can and they just don't know how or where to where to get that from. Or they feel like the little amount that they can contribute is so minuscule that they might as well not. Yeah. And with this, sometimes people have the debate of like, well, should I build up savings or should I get out of debt? And and there's a lot of good questions there. But one thing that's counterintuitive is you should at least first get a little bit of savings before you start trying to pay off debt. And that's because like if something, if you can't even handle like a mild, you know, uh, like your refrigerator breaks or something and you, and you cannot fix that, um, then all of a sudden you're going to spiral and your, your debt's going to become way worse. So as much as you might think like, I got to dig myself out of this hole, I got to get out of the debt that I'm in first, get a little bit of savings. Yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I know um, Dave Ramsey, right? He has a pretty, I don't want to say radical philosophy, but he has a very strict philosophy. And in, in some ways, I personally really like it. And there's some things I don't love about it. But this is one that he does have where he says, look, get $1,000. Set aside $1,000. That may take you a long time, right? And But before you really start looking at your debt, get $1,000 because we've all heard the stats and I can't recall the exact number, but it's like some absurd number of Americans cannot cover a $400 emergency if there was one. And like you said, if you if that happens and you can't cover that, Suddenly now it's either debt that you're in trouble with or it's you can't cover your mortgage um, or your rent and you're now you're looking at getting evicted or your utilities are getting turned off. Like have something set aside for those emergencies to give yourself a little cushion and then chip away at the debt. 
Good. So a couple of things, if you're thinking like, where do I even start with that? Um, the, the place you have to start is looking at what you're spending. And it's pretty phenomenal how, how small a percentage of people actually know where their money is going. Like you might ask them, they might think they know, but you have to be able to like pull out a bank statement, a credit card statement, or, you know, track it in a journal, have some way of being able to see, okay, here's where my money is actually going. In most cases, um, you can probably remove a handful of subscriptions, even if it's for a temporary period of time and your life is going to be fine. And I'm talking about like all sorts of, you know, it might just be content entertainment might be some sort of like a, a software or a tool that you occasionally use Get rid of your OnlyFans for a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, um, if you can get rid of, just set a period of time and say, I'm going to remove at least a handful of subscriptions. Um, another is like, just eat out less. And it doesn't mean you you, you can't eat out at all. Um, sometimes people think like, I can't, like my busy schedule, I have to eat at a restaurant sometimes, or I have to go get fast food or whatever. That's fine. Just say like, okay, for the next three months, I'm going to um, eat, you know, from a restaurant half as many times. And if I can see, if I'm tracking where I'm spending my money, I know exactly how much extra money that's going to give me. On this note, it's funny because I've seen, I've seen memes. There's this whole idea that boomers tell millennials and Gen Z, like, if you would just drink one less coffee, you know, don't buy that coffee in the morning, you'd be wealthy, you know, and then, and then the the young folks us you know we're like oh yeah if i just don't drink this coffee i too can be a multimillionaire you know and and there's obviously the the idea of not drinking coffee making you rich is silly but we're not talking about getting rich we're talking about saving up a thousand bucks and making sure you have something in your savings account and these types of cuts that you're talking about though they are small when you do add them up over a series of months maybe it takes a year you know maybe it takes a couple of years but but we're not talking about getting rich. We're talking about setting up a thousand dollars. And yes, every five dollars that you're spending that you could not be spending, that you could be setting aside, will make that difference of making sure that you have at least a little emergency nest egg. Perfect. And and I and we we're talking about building up like that initial savings to be able to handle a shock that comes to the system of a thousand dollars. But this applies if you're trying to build up more savings, right? If you're to a point where you're saying like, I want to be able to handle, you know, have three to six months of expenses set aside and whatever the case, like you can find places where you can cut back. I think people really are resistant to that. And yet if you can just set a time frame on it and just say like for this temporary period of time, usually you get into it and you're like, Oh, my quality of life isn't any different. Um, it might even be better because I'm, not indulging in this subscription, that subscription, or because I'm actually eating healthier when I cook at home. So look for some things like that. And then whatever that amount is, right? If you say, Hey, I can reduce this expense, this expense, that means I can put $50 a month towards savings. Um, then do whatever you can to have that automatically pulled out. So, uh, with, with almost any bank, you can, you know, let's say it's your checking account, you can just have an automatic withdrawal set up 
to move $50 a month over to your, to a savings account. And you just, you can just not look at that savings account, not even think about it and let it continue to build. Or, um, in almost, in most cases of employment with direct deposit, you can actually select multiple places, multiple accounts where you want your money to go when you get paid. So even better is before you ever even see it, it's pulled out and it's put into your savings. Yeah. From there, you just try to forget that it exists. You don't treat it like I'm sacrificing this $50 every month. It it basically just feels like you're making $50 less than you were before, right? But you never see it. You're not making $50 less than you were. As a matter of fact, you are setting yourself up for success by storing that money away and having it at a later time when you need it. And I'll just say this is something that was really hard for us to get to a point. If it felt like every time we had built up a little bit of savings, something would happen and we'd have to use that. And then we're like, oh, now we have to start over about right. our savings. But then I changed my perspective and I was like, oh, that was so nice that we had something to use uh, so that that wasn't like this devastating thing and we had to sink, you know, deep into debt to cover that. So, yes, things will happen. You'll have to use your savings occasionally to take care of emergencies, but it provides an incredible amount of peace of mind. And look, a lot of people think about, okay, I put my money in savings and it's just going to sit there and I'm, you know, it's frustrating to have savings sometimes because you feel like it was money that you earned that you never get to spend because you'll just always have it in savings. And um, it's kind of like food storage. We talked about like at some point you're going to spend your money, right? And you're going to have money come out of that savings account that you're going to spend on your emergencies and then you're going to put more money in. It's just incredible to have it stored away. On that note, bank accounts nowadays, I remember like when I first got a bank account and for the first 10 or 15 years, you'd always laugh because you get like a 0.015% return in your savings account, right? And at the end of the month or whatever the period was, you'd look and you earned like three cents on your savings. And um, those days I think are passing. Like right now, I was able to um, put my savings into a money market account just at my local credit union. And it pays, it, it varies depending on how much you have in it. But it starts at like two and a half, three percent. And so if you have, even if it's not much, right, it doesn't really matter. You're making two to three percent on that money just sitting there. And you are starting to, as the rich get richer, right, make money passively in your savings account. So if you don't have to touch it, that thousand dollars in a certain number of months, I'm not going to do the math in my head right now, will turn into eleven hundred dollars and then twelve hundred dollars, right? And your money starts making money. And from there, you're just, that's just establishing a solid, good financial principle. And it is a wonderful place to start. After that, then yes, you start to look at your debts, right? Now, there are lots of types of debts, right? You might have a mortgage, maybe not. Um, it doesn't really matter. That's, that's one type of debt you could have. You might have credit card debt. You might have student loans. You might have an auto loan. So there's all these different things you want to look at and pay down. Usually the smallest debts first. This is for psychological reasons and often because the smallest debts are the ones with the highest interest rates. Your credit card debt um, is going to have extremely high interest rates and it's likely going to be less than your mortgage, right? Or your student loans perhaps. 
get rid of those as fast as you can. The psychological part of that is that if you can pay off your any debts that you can pay off, it's a success. It's a win. It's one less thing you have to worry about. If you have a list of five different debts that you have and you get rid of one of those, it looks and it feels like you just got rid of 20% of your debt and it's just one less thing that's being pulled each month, right? And it frees up that little bit of money. Let's say you pay $30 per month towards your credit cards and you work hard, you start chipping away at that credit card debt and you do get it paid off. Well, now that $30 can go towards extra on your your auto loan, right? And that means that your auto loan is now going to be paid off however many months before it was going to have been paid off. And you get this snowball effect where you can get some momentum and you can really start whittling down that debt. Now, Dave Ramsey is going to tell you, you should not buy a house until you have the cash to do that, right? Or like you should focus on getting rid of all of that house debt before you look at anything else. Like you should be 100% debt free before you start to do more stuff with your money. I don't Which I don't personally. I don't, I don't think he claims that about a mortgage. He doesn't? Well, all right. Maybe uh, it's been a while since I looked at it, but I thought that was what he had said last. I don't know, but I think I think the point is like these principles and and if you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, that's that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. I was going to say like then you probably live under a rock if you live in the US cuz he's just like somebody that is is, you know, people he's everywhere. know who he is and he's got kind of a prominent philosophy. Um it is very rigid. I don't adhere to all of it either. Uh, you know, he'll say like, you have to cut up your credit cards. And for a lot of people, by doing that, it works miracles. Yeah. Right? It's just like changes their life. And so for some people, it works great. I've seen other people reach high levels of financial resilience and even what I would call wealth, not following those steps. Right. There's different paths to do it. Um, but yes. To, to your point, like he might say, yeah, you've got to make sure you get completely debt free, whatever that means to him before you can start investing in things or whatever. And it's okay to have a different approach on that. Yeah. But the idea of like that debt snowball, pay off the smallest debt and start using that money rolled over to the next largest debt, roll that over. It's like this this compounding gains that you feel and the emotional impact of it is huge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talk about us being hypocrites talking about some of this stuff. I have a mortgage and I have, um, I have student loans still, right? I graduated uh, college 10 years ago and I'm still working through that debt during the pandemic. I didn't keep paying on it. I, I let my, you know, they, they did the forbearance and all that. So you didn't have to, and it didn't accrue interest. And I took advantage of that and I didn't pay it. Maybe I should have kept paying it during that time without the interest. And that would have got me out of that debt sooner, but it's a debt that personally I feel is manageable. Um, the interest rate on it isn't too high, so I'm not super concerned about it. But if I ever have credit card debt, like I'm getting through that. Right. And there was a time not too many years ago, four or five years ago, where I was several thousand dollars in credit card debt. And that weighs heavy because you're paying like a 16%, 20%, 25% interest rate on those credit cards. And it's so easy to, to fall further and further into that because then suddenly you think you're relying on them and you're, you're spending more and more and you're actually, that debt keeps growing. 
that is a vicious cycle. I'm not going to get any more student loans, right? It, I don't believe. <laughs> I don't plan on it. Um, so that's a debt I can manage. But credit card debt, I know that psychologically I have to stay on top of that. If I don't, then I could be spelling some trouble for myself. So you just look at your own financial situation. Look at your debts. Say, which ones are making me uncomfortable? Which ones am I having struggle handling and are impacting me? And do your best to chip away at those ones you have that thousand bucks. And then once you've done that, now we can look at a more robust savings. Now we're looking at, okay, I'm looking at um, becoming more resilient for the larger scale impacts. If I lose my job, I need more than a thousand bucks, right? I need at least a month. So, okay, what do I make? What do I spend in a month? And and planning to, to try and build your savings account to that one month, right? And you can, in this exercise, it's also for our own, um, as we prepare for these types of things, for job loss or um, for a economic recession, you want to look at what am I? What are my expenses now? And what is the bare minimum that I could survive with? So if I lost my job, let's say, let's say I, I right now I'm spending $3,000 a month. And I'm like, okay, well, then I, I need $3,000 in my savings account to get by for a month. But you might recognize that, look, quite frankly, there's $800 worth of expenses every month that like I could survive without. And if I lost my job, I would just have to survive without. So suddenly now you have a month and a week's worth, right? Or you might have a month and a half or whatever. So be prepared with that. Don't wait until you lose your job to then say, oh, shoot, what, you know, what expenses do we have to cut? Hurry, figure it out. Have that plan in place. Have that figured out. And that also gives you a great place to say, well, wow, 800 bucks a month is what I could have extra if I cut some of these things out that... I like and really, really want, but I could survive without. And then maybe you pick some of those or all of those, depending on your situation, to help build your uh, – you, you cut them anyway, right? So to help to help continue to build your wealth. Once that is done, as you're building your savings, you're just continuing to grow from there, right? Your savings, you want to – the ultimate sort of like comfort level that they want you to try and get to is somewhere between that three and six-month mark. If I lose my job, we can continue to be okay for a few months until I can get another job and um, and pick things back up and rebuild. And and one thing that I'll say on that is sometimes it can feel like, well, it's just this never-ending hamster wheel of like, well, once I get three to six months, I'm going to feel like I need six to 12 months and then I'll feel like I need two years. Right. But it's not like that because at a certain point, like it's it's not financially smart to have three years worth of savings just sitting in a bank account right right you want to invest that in in assets that are going to appreciate or in certain investment accounts with high rates of return uh but that's great because then at that point you're you're making passive income your life becomes a whole lot easier that's where that financial independence begins is once you have a nest egg that you're comfortable with you can now live in some peace, right? You're no longer on edge all the time saying, what happens if I lose my job? What happens? What happens? You're now able to say, okay, anything else that I earn from here, now that money I can put towards making me more money, <laughs> right? And you build more wealth, more nest egg, build a retirement, those types of things, um, you say it's never ending. <clears throat> and in some ways, like, yeah, your financial... Gaining your financial independence should never end. 
we've never made it. Even billionaires are trying to make more money, right? The idea isn't always to try to make more money, but I view money as security. I know you and I have talked about this before. We both kind of view it that way. Money for me isn't a gateway to having fancy things. It's not a gateway to being status or it's not necessarily entertainment or whatever. Right. It's money is a means by which I can gain resilience. And so money in a savings account is great. Money in uh, an investment making me more money is also great. But money is now having a little bit uh, extra allows me to play a little bit harder in the resilience game, right? Now I can feel like food storage is way more accessible suddenly, right? The idea of, um, of, of solar panels maybe or whatever it is that I'm interested in in the resilience sphere, having a little bit of extra cash that you don't have to feel guilty about spending because you've got your nest egg suddenly makes becoming uh, resilient in other areas of your life less time-consuming, less energy-consuming, and just a bit faster. Yeah, and it makes me think about uh, when you get to a point where you have even just a little bit of savings, life is a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> we talk about peace of mind. Like, um, You might think, like, I'm so stressed out, I need a vacation. A, a vacation is so much more fun when you have some savings set aside than when you're like putting yourself into a worse situation. You can just enjoy it more. So when we talk about, yeah, you, you get to a point where you have enough of a savings that you can invest and then you can do this. And it's like, well, you don't want to spend all your life just trying to increase the dollar amount, right? You've got to spend your life living and, and enjoying the things that, you know, are meaningful to you. Um, but that's also where budgeting is so impactful. Lots of methods for budgeting. Today, we're not going to dive into that. Um, but there's something so freeing. People think of a budget as it's just like so restricting. I just want to be able to spend what I need to or need or want to spend. I don't want to be like confined to this box, this budget that tells me what I can and can't spend. Right. But when you set aside like, I have this much a month that I've set aside to spend on fun stuff, like then getting to go do that. You can, it's just this sense of freedom for sure. When you, when you spend that money instead of kind of being scared and worrying about it. Yeah. It's like if you don't budget and I will admit, we also struggle with the budget, right? We will budget for a while and then we'll fail and we have to redo the budget and, and recommit ourselves to it. But I notice when we don't budget, every time we eat out, for example, I'm like, should we be doing this? I don't know. Can we, can we quite, you know, do this again? We just spent 20 bucks at a restaurant the other day and now I'm swiping my card at another restaurant. Have I overspent? And you're constantly worrying about that. If you're budgeting and you know, like I've set aside X amount of dollars this month for it and I know that I haven't spent that and I know that this money, I can spend it guilt-free. It was allotted for this. I'm not overdoing it. It just allows for that freedom to be able to do those things and to feel to feel good about it and enjoy it. So some of these things that we're mentioning, I think might, depending on where you're at in your kind of financial resilience journey, these might seem like revolutionary or they might seem like, oh, this is really basic. Um, we're, we're starting with some of these more basic principles, general things. I, there's a lot of things we're looking forward to discussing. But one thing that you'll notice as a pattern, when you talk about budgeting and, and that guilt-free freedom 
that comes from that. Like that is a psychological benefit that that keeps you motivated to keep making smart financial choices. When you talk about doing the debt snowball and you might not always be paying off the you know the debt with the highest interest rate first because you're focusing on the smallest debt first and you might think well how does that work with the math like maybe I should be putting it here or that but when, but when you talk about the psychological benefits of it it's this like victory after victory that that keeps you motivated to keep doing it and that way you keep making smart financial choices so oftentimes it, people just think like it's numbers and spreadsheets um but you have to think about human behavior you have to know enough about yourself to be able to say like i'm going to do these practices this way so that i stay down a good path again that's why you have things automatically pull into your savings and you don't have to make a choice every time you're setting yourself up to be able to um continue positive behaviors like all things in resilience that we've talked about um any effort is better than no effort. And especially if you are in a spot where you are not practicing any of these things, right? Maybe you're, you're spending is out of control or your income is really low and you're worried and you're impoverished and, and, and you don't know where to start and begin. Just start with even just one of the things that we talked about today, right? Like any step that you make consciously is better than doing nothing and continuing in the same cycle. If you can make any forward momentum and keep that momentum going, you will find yourself in a better direction. One thing I'll mention, you know, Kellen, you and I have talked about our financial situations at the beginning of our marriages, um, our young adult lives here 10 or 15 years ago. I was shocked at how rapidly for me things changed. There was several years where it was like always wondering if I was ever going to feel comfortable right? It's always so uncomfortable. And in a number of just a few years, that changed for me entirely. Part of that, like you said, was deliberate choices, you know, trying to be smart, being super careful, uh, making, making choices that led to this, right? Some of it is, I guess, luck, right? Luck that I found a good job that did help me to increase my income. Um, so there's always a mixture of both. But if you don't apply the principles, if you don't work hard and and try to make the changes, you'll always find yourself in trouble. So you have to at least start with what you can control so that when the good opportunities come along, you're able to take advantage of them and um, just, again, continue the momentum. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes people try to line out a plan and there's not – you're probably not going to find like a get rich quick scheme that's actually credible. <laughs> right. Um, like it's going to take some consistent effort. It's going to be a little bit painful, just like anything with building resi resistance. It's like an investment of time and effort that pays off big later. And I think sometimes when somebody writes out a financial plan and they're like, okay, I can get to a good point, but it's going to take four years. Four years is so far away, you know? Right. Somebody might be like, I'm 48 years old. Jeez, I'm going to be 52 by the time. And that just seems like such a long amount of time for somebody. But then you're like, well, come on. You expect to live 
how many decades right after you turn 52 like yep just start and if i had found this four years ago and realized this four years ago i sure would have wished that i had done it then so that now i could be free and four years from now i'm gonna look back and say the same thing so i just gotta start yeah and when that turning point happens you and i have both experienced to some degree like you talked about like how rapidly suddenly it changes man it changes everything it is a game changer and it is so worth the effort that it took to get there deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.